So, we're still on the stage of the lover, but we're going to take a slight shift now and look at perhaps the, the pinnacle of beauty on earth, and that is Eve. And um, Eve can mess with our minds and our hearts and get us into some pretty embarrassing scrapes, as I'm sure you can all testify. And as we saw with Del Boy there, he's so keen to impress this beautiful young lady that he's, he just wants to uh, show her his adventurous side. Uh, such as the desire for Eve, it gets us into some pretty embarrassing scrapes. It's hard to contain the, the poser in us. Now, the essence of that desire to, to be near Eve is good. In Genesis 1 and 2, when, when God is creating the world, every time he creates something, he pronounces it good, whether that be the land, the sea, the, the animals, the, the plants, the stars, the moon. Every day, after everything he creates, he pronounced it good. But then surprisingly, after, after creating mankind in the, in the form of Adam, he says something's not good. Something's missing. And that something was Eve, companionship with another human being. Because don't forget, we are created in the image of a fellowship. We're created in the image of a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons bound together in love. It's no wonder it's not good for man to be alone. And obviously that desire for companionship with, with Eve includes sex. And the first meeting between a man and a woman that we read about in the Bible can be more accurately described as a naked man singing poems of love over a naked woman in the presence of God. That desire to be intimate with Eve is a good desire because it's given to us by God. But for sure... It can get twisted, it gets misplaced, it gets us no end, into no end of trouble. But at its core, it is good. And as I'm sure you're, you've come across, the Song of Songs is a book in the Bible that delights in the pleasures of sex within marriage. And some of it is so, so explicit that it usually gets watered down in most translations. And there's one, one part in Song of Songs 5 which refers to um, his abdomen is like a polished ivory tusk decorated with sapphires. Now, you could <laughs> probably guess what part of the male anatomy it's referring to, but I read some other translations, and one of them said this, his body is ivory work. Footnote, the meaning of the Hebrew word is uncertain. <laughs> <clears throat> probably not. And then there's Proverbs, which refers to a man being ravished by his wife's breasts. <laughs> Not entirely sure what it looks like, and I know you're all kind of... Anyway, we, um, uh, we're going to watch a film clip. No, no, come on. <laughs> and I've... We're better than that, we're better than that. If, if you want to understand the heart of a woman, ask her the film she loves and why. Now, this film is my, my wife's favourite film of all time, and it's, it's taught me a lot um, about her heart, and it's from the film The Notebook. So you'll see, as soon as Noah claps eyes on the beautiful Ali, he just needs to be near her. He's drawn to her, and as, as, when he sees her for the second time, he, he says, I was, I was drawn to you. I just needed to be near to you. And that is the effect that Eve can have on us. When we first clap eyes on the beautiful woman, it can rule our, our minds, our emotions, our will. And um, 
Yeah, you literally can go crazy for it, as, as, Noah, as Noah put it. And then there's that desire just to, just to get, get near to Eve and impress her, like, like Noah did by hanging from the, the Ferris wheel to impress her with her strength. Now, the essence of that, this, this kind of desire, if you like, to be near Eve is much more profound than mere animal attraction. When Paul is talking about marriage in Ephesians 5, he, he quotes from Genesis where it, where it talks about man and woman becoming one flesh. And then he goes on to say that, describe it as a wondrous secret, a great mystery that can only be understood with the help of God. And then he goes on to explain that that wondrous secret is Christ and the church. And Paul is saying that, that our desire to pursue Eve, to be near her, is a reflection of God's pursuit of us, God's pursuit of our heart. We're created in his image, in his likeness after all. So everything we looked at in the previous session about how God pursues our heart is a reflection of how we are supposed to pursue the heart of Eve. And Paul is also saying that that wondrous secret is the key to to living marriage because when a man gives himself up for his wife sacrificially like Christ did for his redeemed people, us, that is when marriage will flourish. And so it's God's intent that that marriage will will reflect Christ and his people. It will be a living embodiment, if you like, of the gospel. And Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ so loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, a lot of Paul's writings on marriage, in fact, a lot of what the Bible has to say, is quite um, controversial in our modern culture, particularly the bits that require a woman to submit and obey a man. And, and in some respects, I get that, because let's face it, we can all be knobbish at times, and nobody wants to obey someone who's being a knob. So, <laughs> fair play. But actually, I think we've got a harder end of the deal, because we're required to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and that is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love to the point of death, I might add. Obedience and submission is a relative tick in the box compared with that. We are called to give ourselves up in pursuit of our wives' hearts, to suffer in pursuit of our wives' hearts, to do whatever it costs in pursuit of our heart. So how's it going? (laughs) Do you wake up every morning thinking, how can I pursue my wife's heart today? Um, I have to admit that when I look back across these six stages that we're stepping through this weekend... This is the one where I feel like I needed the most initiation, the most fathering. And, and I think that's partly because it's a stage in our development which is governed by such strong desires and such strong hormones. And it's also because the world is completely at odds with the biblical view on what is right. Because the world will tell us to take and consume as much as possible and give nothing in return. Sleep with as many women as possible because that's what it looks like to be a man. And so the world is telling us to consume, whereas God is saying, pursue. And to say that the world is full of temptation is an enormous understatement. The world is full of reminders of the beauty of Eve everywhere we go, everywhere you walk, on on every high street, on any device that you pick up, all over the media, 
everywhere. It is unrelenting. Somebody told me recently that the average age for a child to be, for a boy to be exposed to pornography is nine years old. That such imagery is is too much for a living for a grown man, let alone a nine-year-old boy. And this area, the stage of the lover, I think, from my experience, also appears to be the hardest one for fathers to father their, their kids in. And, and I, I guess that's really because it's not something that's been done well for them either. And the problem is, what, what happens is, instead of us having role models of what it looks like to sacrificially pursue the heart of a woman, to give ourselves up for a woman, we're caught in this downward spiral of consumerism. And instead of offering our strength to Eve, what we tend to do is we go to Eve and we look for her for everything that we should look to the Father for. We look to her for life, for beauty, for validation. But she can't validate us as men. As this whole weekend is about, masculinity is bestowed, either from God directly or through other men. It can't come from a woman, it can't come from your mother, it can't come from your peer group. It has to come from the presence of older men. And yes, she is created in the image of God, and in many ways, she's the next best thing. And maybe at times, she will validate, but there will come a time when she will invalidate because she's not going to be perfect, and that will cut deep that will hurt really bad because those that we give our hearts over to the most have the power to wound us like no other. And there's a moment in Genesis 2 where, and we spoke a little bit about it yesterday, where Eve has taken the forbidden fruit. She's taken a bite from the apple and she's handing it to Adam. And Adam has this choice to make. Do, do I follow Eve or do I obey God? Now at this point in time, as far as I can tell, Adam hasn't sinned. The enemy has no foothold in him whatsoever. But yet, given that choice, he follows Eve. And we've got caught in the same trap ever since. And interestingly, it's not shortly after that incident in Genesis where Eve is then referred to as the life-giving one. Ever since, we have got stuck in this trap of going to Eve in search of life, in search of beauty, in search of validation looking to her for everything that we want, we should get from God. But God's design is not that we would be consumers, but that we would offer our strength to her. We would pursue her heart. Because Eve needs to know that we delight in her. What she needs to know is that we'll do anything for her heart, that we would sacrifice our, our, ourselves for her heart, that we would do whatever it takes for her. But as long as we're looking to her for our own needs, we're consuming and not pursuing. Um, I'd like to... Um, my, my wife shared with me this, this article that she'd found, um, which she found amusing. Now, you can work out for yourselves why she found it amusing and thought the need to send it to me, but I'm going to read it to you. And it, what it is, it's um, two diary entries from a couple, a married couple, that have gone on a date together. And this is their respective diary entries after that evening. So this is, this is her diary. Tonight, I thought my husband was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset at the fact that I was a bit late. But he made no comment on it. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested that we go somewhere quiet so we, so we could talk. 
He agreed, but he didn't say much. I asked him what was wrong. He said, nothing. I asked him if it was my fault that he was upset. He said he wasn't upset, that it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say, I love you too. When we got home, I felt as if I'd lost him completely, as if he wanted nothing more to do with anyone, nothing more to do with me anymore. He just sat there quietly and watched TV. He continued to seem distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I felt that there was this, he was distracted and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure that his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. His diary entry. Motorcycle won't start. Can't figure out why. <laughs> It's brilliant, isn't it? It's painfully brilliant, but it's brilliant. You could, <laughs> you could summarize her diary entry as, why doesn't he see me? Why isn't he delighting me? Why isn't he interested in my heart? That guy is just consumed with his motorbike. He's not pursuing her heart. Um, I want to give you another picture of what consumerism looks like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, again, it's painfully, uh, painfully funny because it's the sort of thing I can imagine myself saying. Um, uh, I spent a lot of time chatting with guys over the last few years about about life, about faith, about the challenges we have, and obviously, Eve comes up a lot in conversation. and And I've made an observation that that most of the time, and I include myself in this, we are either frustrated that she's doing too much of something or we're frustrated that she's not doing enough of something. Either we're frustrated that you know, she's doing too much, too many coffee mornings or working too hard for the church or whatever, or we're frustrated that she's not doing enough of something. She's not keeping the house tidy enough or we're not having enough sex. That, unfortunately, is consumerism. And as I said, I'm, I'm no different. And um, one of my strengths, at least in, in my eyes, is my attention to detail. And so I notice when things aren't quite right around the house. So I'll notice when a cup has been put down somewhere, it might leave a little ring. I'll notice when the dishwasher is stacked inefficiently. I, I notice when a knife has been put up in the dishwasher, which may catch the rotor that spins around. I'll notice when the washing doesn't smell quite as fresh as it did the time before. Now, I think these are quite insightful. And, but interestingly, my wife doesn't seem to agree that these insightful observations about the minutiae of our house are actually worth making. And actually, a lot of the time, she gets disheartened when I express them too frequently. Because unfortunately, what I'm seeking in that moment is efficiency. That's not romance. Efficiency isn't, you know, they're, they're, they're polar opposites. Romance is the language of the heart, as, as we talked about earlier. And this is me in consumerism mode. And consumerism is very much the culture of our age and very much so when it comes to Eve. And that comes in all sorts of different forms. Dating a girl for many years with no intent of marrying her, that's consumerism. Um, sexual promiscuity, consumerism again. Um, perhaps the, the ultimate in, in consumerism is pornography. 
You take whatever you want and have to give absolutely nothing in return. Not romancing your wife and just wanting sex. Consumerism again. A really ugly statistic for you. Two million children sex trafficked, trafficked into the sex industry every year. That, unfortunately, is consumerism again. It, it is so sad that something so precious and so glorious that God has given us has become so twisted um, with our, by our culture, but so it is. But we must remember that God's intent for marriage is very, very different. It is a reflection on Christ, how Christ loves us. So I'm just going to ask um, Greg to, uh, to respond a little bit to this again. Um, and I guess the question for Greg that I posed for him was, was firstly an example of how he has been very careful not to be a consumer. Yeah, so I'm going to answer that in, in two ways. So um, you know, Rich just alluded there, not um, chasing after girls that weren't going to be your wife. And that was something, you know, I made some mistakes in terms of my journey with Eve, but that was one that I think I took very carefully. So I had some girlfriends, not lots of girlfriends, but I, I was keen that they, there was a future there or it was appropriate to not pursue that relationship long term. And there was one girl in particular that I dated, that was the kind of the person I dated before I ultimately kind of um, asked my wife out. And you know, I gave it a go. I was with her for probably three or four months, and I wanted to see if that relationship would transpire. But once it became clear that it didn't have a long-term future, I felt it was appropriate to end that relationship before her heart was kind of, I guess, too intertwined with mine. And, and that was a difficult thing to do. I, I felt like this, you know, I felt ready to, to kind of take that step into marriage, and ending that was a, was a difficult thing to do, but I, I felt absolutely appropriate to do. Um, and secondly, I guess, is around the, cons the con kind of consumer attitude with my wife. So my wife, Emily, really cares about the aesthetic of how things look. It's, her surroundings are very, very important to her. In fact, she once told me that one of the things that she had to overcome when I asked her out was my poor dress sense. <laughs> <laughs> I said in my wedding speech, she described my dress sense as a 90s teenager who shops at a service station. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, even, even my own aesthetic is kind of below her, her high standards. But, um, you know, we just bought this new house and the things that matter to me and the things that matter to her are very different. We've got a shed out in the back garden, which for me is very useful because it's a place to store things where, where we don't have very much storage in the house. To her, that's the place in the garden where there's the most light. So she said to me, when we move into the house, the thing that we must do first is paint the shed a slightly lighter shade. Now, lean just to say, I thought this was an inappropriate use of our money and our time. But I, you know, I learned, I've learned that with Emily, it's appropriate not to fight those battles and to understand. <laughs> to understand that those things are important to her, and where I want to make decisions about the way we, you know, do up our house around practical choices. For Emily, it's around how things look and, and space and, and light. And sometimes I have to invest time and money to, to pursue something that's important to her. Thank you, mate.
Was it what we're doing? Was there was a question, was there? <laughs> Have I forgotten a question? Um, you were going to ask me about, uh, it's about how I consume. Oh, yeah, go for it. I'll ask your own questions. <laughs> I'll just step off here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Rich asked me, the, so I guess, to be open and honest about areas where I consume. Um, and certainly sex has been one that I've been guilty of, having a, a kind of an unrealistic expectation of that sex should be something that's that's regular and kind of on a plate for me as a as a married man and I've had to 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 work quite hard to to understand that sex isn't necessarily going to be a daily occurrence and that um and and Emily used the line of um kind of sex begins in the morning in terms of actually it's about how I behave and how I woo her through the day that then come the evening when it's kind of the usual time where we might have sex she's she's kind of feeling loved and and secure and I also you know Rich sort of talked about you know how the house you know I go out to work Emily's at home and sometimes I just find it so frustrating when the house is is messy and you know I don't have any kind of consideration for the fact that she might have had a difficult day the children aren't particularly compliant when it comes to not being messy uh, and and being you know not being selfish in that and, and I think I sometimes look for Emily for affirmation. I look for her to, to give me that confidence, to tell me I'm great. And, um, you know, I guess I was... When, um, when Eden died, Emily wasn't able to give that to me because she was in a lot of pain, more, more pain than me. And at times I was selfish because I wanted her to comfort me through that difficulty but actually it was appropriate that I helped her through that time and at times I didn't do that particularly well and um, yeah I don't, I don't think I need to say anything more but there's you know there's a challenge sometimes consuming is about it isn't just about what I'm taking it's about what I can give to my wife and I'm conscious that sometimes I put my own selfish desires ahead of where she needs me to be the rock to help her through Thanks. Amen. I think Greg is probably better at pursuing his wife's heart than he realizes, but anyway. Um, one of the reasons why I did want Greg to share was particularly that story about um, when he was dating, because I think it is, it's a very easy trap to fall into when you're dating, is to just let it ride um, and you know, not have to make any commitment. Um, but Greg was really, really, I was very impressed um, when I was walking with him through it that he was taking those hard decisions to say, oh, I don't think this is going to end in marriage, so I'm, I don't think this is heading to marriage, so we need to call it off. Because um, someone once, I don't know where I read it, but it was a phrase where somebody said, what often happens in relationships is, um, in dating is that the woman wants the man's heart, and so she will give sex in order to get the man's heart. And what the man does is he'll share his heart in order to get sex. Um, again, consumerism. Consumerism is completely at odds with the biblical view of masculinity, and that, that view is that it should be a reflection of God's pursuit of our hearts. And, and what he did for us, he came for us. He rescued us. He brings us freedom, and he's brought taken away everything that brings separation between us and him. And Christ, don't forget, sacrificed himself for us. And that's 
when he was hanging on the cross, he wasn't there thinking, everyone's perfect, I'm sacrificing myself for these perfect people. No, he was looking down on a bunch of people that had beaten him, betrayed him, and abandoned him. He wasn't, he wasn't hanging from that cross because we were lovely, but to make us lovely. He wasn't hanging from that cross because our hearts were pure and glorious, but to make us pure and glorious, but yet he still stayed. And I want to show you a clip now, another clip from the film The Notebook, which I think reflects that point I've just made. And the context, the film has rolled on quite a bit. Noah and Ali did start dating, they did fall in love, but unfortunately they separated, and that was largely due to the intervention of her mother. And now we're at a point in the story where Ali is due to marry another man, but she's become torn between this man she's about to marry and her first love, Noah. Now, the thing you need to know about this is, again, this story is being narrated by the old man that you saw in the nursing home at the beginning of the film, and that old man is Noah in later life. It is one thing to pursue the heart of a woman when you're first captured by her beauty and you want to be near her. And it's another thing entirely to pursue her heart for the r day after day for the rest of your lives. But that is what she needs. Noah um, fights for his wife's heart, even though everyone around him is telling him not to. His family, the doctors, they're telling him not to. It, it's, it's just not worth it. But even so, he goes in there day after day to pursue her heart, forsaking the pain that it will bring him. And that emotional feeling of love that caused him to hang from the Ferris wheel was decades ago. This is the, the act of love. And even though he knows that she will forsake him in the end, that she will deny him in the end, he still stays, just as Christ stayed on the cross for us. And that is so hard to do, to pursue her heart when she's denying you, when she's driving you mad. But that, unfortunately, is what it looks like to give yourself up for her, just as Christ did for us. There's, I mean, it is a brilliant film. If you haven't watched it, watch it. I dare you, watch it with your wives. It's, it's hard. Um, there's a line in that film which is probably is about the point where my wife goes from this weeping phase to this audible wailing noise. <laughs> and... And it's when he's, you saw it there, he said, that is my sweetheart in there, and I'm not leaving her. He has set his mind like flint in pursuit of her heart, just as Christ set his mind on, like flint in pursuit of her heart. And that is what our wives need to know. That is why my wife likes that line, because that is what she wants to hear from me. But what I, what I really like about that scene and this story is what Noah is fighting for is the true Ali. He can see beyond the false self that's present for most of the time. He knows the true heart that lies within, and that is what he's trying to set free. He's trying to set free the true Ali. And it's a perfect picture of what Christ, what God is trying to do in us, to set our true selves free. And it's, it's, it's possibly the best lesson, if you like, for marriage in any relationship is the pursuit of the true self and setting it free. The message version of Ephesians 5, I think, describes really well what Christ has done for us and therefore what we should do for our wives. And it says, 
His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. He pursued our hearts to set our beauty free. Um, so I'm going to close with this with a bit of practical stuff. Um, because it's sadly inevitable that when something has the ability to draw out such strong desires and emotions, it comes with the risk of great pain and suffering. And the sorrow can be as deep as the joyful heights can be high. And Dostoevsky was right when he said, beauty is mysterious as well as terrible. God and the devil are fighting there, and the battlefield is the heart of man. Alas, Eve has the power to wound us and wound us deeply. When we go to Eve in search of validation, in search of life, in search of beauty, we risk being invalidated and, and that will wound us. Maybe that's wounded us through the breakup of a relationship of some sort. And I think that wound is particularly deep when sex is involved. And um, I think we also need to be very mindful that there's a big spiritual element in all of this. There's a big spiritual element between individuals and most, most notably how the devil is at play with what's going on. But there is healing for this stuff, guys. There is healing. And, and the advice really is to take those, those memories, those moments back to God, invite Jesus into those memories. And we do that with a repentant heart. We do that with being sorry for, for our actions in the process and forgiving those that have hurt us. There may well be parts of your heart that have been left behind with previous relationships. And again, I advise you to go back to those moments. I invite God into them with a repentant heart and forgive those that need to be forgived. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more. We've got um, a suggestion of how we can go through some of this stuff, which I'll come to in a moment. I just want to say one more word on temptation. Um, because, I mean, it comes in all sorts of forms, whether that be sex outside of marriage, pornography, um, affairs, whatever it may be. It, temptation is, is all around us. And it, it's, our battle is not made easy because Eve is such a powerful reflection of God's beauty. Um, and and we, we will fall into traps that we know to be wrong, unfortunately. Um, now, discipline is important. When Ulysses was traveling to the island of the Sirens, he knew that he and his men would be tempted by the women on the rocks. And so he put wax in his ears and the ears of his sailors, and he tied himself to the mast. It is really good practice to, to put those barriers in place, to put wax in your ears. However, we also need to deal with the desire for beauty at a deeper level because there will be times when you're caught without the barriers in place because the enemy knows exactly when to pounce. He knows your story. He knows your weaknesses. He knows when you're away with work, when you're tired and you're in need of a little bit of comfort or excitement. He knows. And... And what I mean by dealing with the desire at a much, beauty, uh, a much deeper level is that um, if our thirst for beauty and God's beauty is only ever satisfied through the beauty of Eve, when she shows up, 
we will be intoxicated and we will struggle to resist. And, and it's really important to um, remember that when Eve gets our attention, what we're really responding to is, is allure, it's compassion, it's mercy, it's tenderness, it's intimacy. We're really responding to the, the beauty of God in human form, but she's not God. She comes pretty close, admittedly, but she's not God. Just a very powerful reflection. C.S. Lewis, again, I think puts it really well. He says, the things in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn in to dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers, for they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. If Eve is the only way in which we experience God's beauty, um, we're we're, going to be in trouble. Unless our heart is awakened by the beauty of God in all its forms, when the beautiful woman turns up, we, we will be struck dumb and we will struggle to resist. And it's only once we begin to accept that we are sons of a heavenly father that loves us unconditionally, then we are able to offer our hearts unconditionally to our wives. It's only when we're taking our strength from the heavenly father that we are then able to pursue our wives with strength. It's only when we are allowing God to pursue our hearts that we are then able to pursue the hearts of our wives and expect nothing in return. And I've found the more that my heart is awakened by the beauty of God, the more able I am to pursue my wife's heart. But I've also found that the opposite is exactly true. The more I feel swamped and suffocated by stuff, the harder it is the more the consumer starts to emerge in me, the more I focus on my needs and my troubles and how easy her life is. But when we speak of generally of the challenges of Eve, uh, I do believe the biggest step that we can make is realize that she is not beauty itself. She is a very powerful reflection of it. And if we don't look beyond Eve for the beauty we so desperately seek, then we will always be trapped by her beauty. Augustine put it really quite well when he said, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. If we're always going to Eve in search of that rest, it it will never be enough until we find rest in him. Now there's there's a lot that could be said of temptation, and um, we're going to try something new today. Um, So uh, we are going to go into a discipline of silence, I'm going to check my emergency phone before anyone tells me off. So we're going to go into a discipline of silence for half an hour. Um, then we're going to have lunch. And then you've got free time again until 4 o'clock. But we are doing something in here at 1 o'clock, which is, which is entirely optional. And, and it's going to be a session led by Steve and Tom. And it's going to be a session looking at temptation and lust, and in particular, pornography. Now, as I said, this is... This is entirely optional, um, but guys, if it is something you struggle with, p- please 
come along. There is no shame and no guilt. All right? there, is, there is no condemnation in Christ. And it will take a step of courage to come along, but please, please do. Don't suffer in silence. These guys have got great stories to share. They have been through a pretty ugly battle, and they have fought incredibly well. And I'm really quite proud of them. Uh, so, um, even if it's not something you struggle with personally, um, there will be people you know that are struggling with it. So I encourage you to come along, hear their stories. It's not going to be something where we're going to force you to share anything. You can sit, you can soak it up, and you can leave and pray about it. So it's not like a um, sit around in a ring and, and confess. There will, if you want to go and do that, great. But we're not going to put you in situations which are really uncomfortable. But please, come and, come and hear it. Don't, if there is shame and guilt, then rebuke it, because it's not of God. And these guys have gone through this battle with, with real humility and integrity and courage. And they are stories worth listening to because there is freedom. And you'll hear it from these guys today. Steve or Tom, do you want to say anything else? Or have, is that sum it up? We're not, we're not really sure what to call it, to be honest. It's like a... <laughs> a masterclass pornography workshop or something, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, maybe, maybe give the wrong impression. But please, guys, um, yeah. Um, one o'clock, one o'clock. So discipline of silence, lunch. In here at one if you want to. If not, back in here at four o'clock. <laughs>